to our beautiful deep community, I want to assure you the deeper is going nowhere and the same incredible content will be released every week, but now through Arise. It is going to be less trauma heavy and more inspirational, uplifting, but it will still challenge and push you to grow. For all your deeper episodes, they are still available every fortnight. You can still get your deep hit with the deeper subscription. It was embarrassing for me because I felt um, like, oh God, like I didn't want my dad and my mum to know what had happened. You know what I mean? It was like, mm. yeah, I felt real, I felt the guilt and I felt the shame and that's what happens like when you're the victim of it. You, you're the one who feels the shame and embarrassment and um, dirty. I just felt so dirty. Welcome to The Deep. I'm Zoe Marshall. In my early 20s, a lot of traumatic things happened. And ever since then, I have had this fascination with people and their stories. This is The Deep. As a 14-year-old girl, Frankie was kidnapped and gang-raped for hours and hours. This is her incredible story of survival. It's a story of abuse, addiction, domestic violence, a mother's love, and forgiveness. Content warning. This episode discusses rape, abuse, and domestic violence. If you're suffering or are triggered by the content, help services are listed in the show notes. Welcome to the deep. This has um, taken us quite some time to get together. So thank you for persevering. That's fine. It's good to be here. This is going to be potentially one of the hardest conversations we've had on the deep for people. I do want to warn them. Yeah, it's pretty tough. Do you want to take us back to the incident that happened in when you were 14 years old? I was staying, well, I went to stay at a friend's place in town and um, there was about, it was a whole group of us. Like I was only 14, there was some younger than me. There's probably about five mates. And we um, we went for a walk uh, to an auntie's. So we're just walking through a part of town that probably wasn't the best part of town. But, um, yeah, we were walking there and a car full of uh, gang members pulled up. We stopped to talk to someone um, and then a yeah, car load of gang members pulled up and just dragged me into their car and then took me, yeah, driving around for a bit and then to a house where they, yeah, raped me. So, yeah, it was pretty scary stuff. So how many men and what age are we talking of these people? There was six involved. There was two young, like, young ones and there was four grown men probably in their 30s. Do you, I mean, I don't want to go too far into that memory of yours, but do you mm. were you drugged or were you conscious were they holding you by force 
Um, well, there was, I was only a little child, really, like a little girl. So I was crying and struggling and bloody, I got smacked in the head a few times to, and told to shut up. And I was shoved in between the driver and another person. So I was sitting in the middle. It was one of those big cars with the bench seat. Mm. Um, so I was kind of like trapped. Yeah. And I guess it was so, it was freaky. It was so scary. I think I I knew quite quickly that there wasn't going to be much that I could do here. You know, like there wasn't a lot that I could do to save myself, if you know what I mean. I was trapped. When they started assaulting you, I can't even imagine how terrifying a moment like that is for a child. Mm. Do all six of them assault you? So what happens is they take me back to a house and uh, one of them takes me into a room and, uh, yeah, kind of just takes my clothes off and does what he does and then he leaves and the next guy comes in and he does what he does and yeah so it was four four in the end the other the two young fellas they were just um like there you know on the prospects or something so it was just the four main well sorry it was it was three and then there was one other that lived in the house that um ended up kind of he ended up getting me out of the house in the end after 12 hours I was there for 12 hours the whole ordeal was 12 hours and so I was in this room and the first guy that had taken me into the room when the other guys had gone he came back into the room and just fell asleep next to me (laughs) um so I was like trapped there like thinking what the you know what am I going to do here um but the guy that had that lived in the house he when he came in and done what he done he says oh yeah I'll I'll try and get you out after he assaulted you yeah yeah yep yep he says I'll I'll try and get you out I'll, I'll come back when everyone's asleep so yeah he did he came back in um so I kind of really tried to be as quiet as I could to get up and of course he he woke up that guy and you know even at that age I knew what I had to do I was like oh man I've got to go to the toilet so I managed to get out of that room Mm. and then the other guy took me into his room and yeah he was he was disgusting yeah he kind of um yeah assaulted me all night he was the one that said, I'll get you out, but then he took yes. you out of the room into his room and continued to assault you for hours yeah. before yeah. he yeah. took you out. Yep, yep. Before um, I got out of the house, he was like, because I'd been begging him to get me out of the house, you know, like, please just let me go now. So he says, I'll go out and check um, everybody, make sure everyone's asleep so I can get you out. So he goes out for a bit. And then he comes in, he says, oh, you know, we're going to have to be real, you know, they're saying they want another another go. 
this is what he said. So I, by then I was a mess and I just like fell on the ground. I was freaking crying my eyes out. And he said, I would just got to be very quiet. And then he ended up getting me out of the house and drove me around for a bit. And then um, finally dropped me off. He took me to the river first and tried again to have sex or rape me again. It was just crazy, you know. He finally dropped me off to where I'd been staying, where I was supposed to stay that night. Um, and, yeah, I was just like, you know, I was just a numb shell from then on when I think about it. Because this is what is is I'd, I really want to share with our audience listening is, you know, you enter this one person and then you're assaulted mm. and sexually abused and you're changed, you know. You're, yeah. you're in this incredibly traumatic experience. When when you're in that experience, are you does your mind are you in survival mode or does your mind take you? Do you dissociate? Do you Yeah. How do you cope? So like apparently your your body, you know, we're we're incredible beings that when we're going through something that traumatic, we have survival things that just like kick in like I don't remember the actual physical feeling the physicalness of what was happening to me Mm. I kind of remember I remember kind of like looking down (laughs) that's I remember looking down on myself from the above the door for some reason it's weird but Mm. you know like I I had I, I think I'd left my body um I don't know if you can relate to that, but yeah, it's yes. You know, my my whole being was numb. I I can't re- really remember the feelings as such because my body had like shut down. It's like self preservation to survive. I think so. Yeah. So you get to a safe place. Is it at that point? You, can you feel the physical impacts when you're safe, or do you just shut down? Just inc- incredible numbness, mm. yeah, like like a cloud, like almost like you're in a bubble. I just remember that, I, and it's almost like coming over me again now as I'm talking about it, which is quite interesting. Um, it's like a there's, and I've got a, a like a real dread in my chest, like far out. This is, you know, when something really big happens to you, like you're that feeling of dread because I knew that I something I had I was not the same person a huge thing that had had happened to me and yeah nothing was going to be the same again and it wasn't who was the first person that you saw that was safety for you I went to my friend's place but um what had happened is the guy that we'd stopped to see the night before when I got dragged into the car, um, he'd gone straight to the cops. So they were searching for me. So my parents already knew about it. They'd been up, up looking for me everywhere. Um, so when I went back to my mate's place, I just tried to be normal if you could, if you, I could be. Like no one really said anything to me and we just went on with the day. 
which is weird, eh? <laughs> the mother was there, but you, you got to understand that I was told if I talked about it and if I told the cops or went to the cops that they'd kill me. You know, they were, I was terrified of that. But um, the cops had already been told and um, I didn't even know until I got into town and they saw me and like a family friend, a cop that we'd known that grew up around by us, um, he was the first one to approach me and ask me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I didn't um, even know that my parents knew what had happened. So your parents found out from the cops? Yeah, in the middle of the night that I'd been abducted. Yeah, poor things. And then those cops, did you tell them about the the assault? Yeah, yeah, I did. They took me in, they asked me where I'd been, what had happened, that they'd heard, I mean, that, that they knew what had happened, that I'd been taken um, I first I had to do a statement um, about everything that had gone on, so that took a while. Um, and then I had to do the medical thing where the doctor had to do the examination rape kit thing. Uh, and then I had to see my parents. They were waiting at the police station when I got there. It was really, it was awkward. It was embarrassing for me. Because I felt um, like, oh, God, like I didn't want my dad and my mum to know what had happened. You know what I mean? It was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I felt real. I felt the guilt and I felt the shame and stuff. That's what happens, like, when you're the victim of it. You, you're the one who feels the shame and embarrassment and um, dirty. I just felt so dirty. How do they process this with you what do they say what do they do you know like I don't know if they even knew how to deal with it but I just felt very alone in my own shit you know Mm. I felt um I didn't want them to know I didn't want them to know I hurt I was hurting I felt like I'd put them them and my whole family through this thing but you know now that I look back, I know I hadn't because it wasn't me. But back then, when I, when you're in the middle of it, you do. You feel like you're, yeah, you, you've caused all this, yeah. And you're a child. So there must be some way or something you turn to to cope because there is an awful amount of trauma there. What do you do to survive the day-to-day? I just turn to like anorexic bulimic pretty much not too long after like pretty yeah I don't know I can't remember exactly when I started like purging and stuff but yeah that was pretty immediate um or I'd I'd run for hours exercise so like real hard out in my bedroom just anything I think to focus on Mm. Um, then there was the food and the calorie counting and the um, yeah, the eating and the vomiting it was very yeah shocking. And I think it, it was just anything to divert myself from even thinking about it. Like I was then I got into drinking. Like I was a chronic alcoholic for 
pretty much any time, any whenever I could get alcohol. <laughs> so, um, yeah, addiction was a huge part of my life. When did the drinking begin? Look, if I could, I would have would have been straight away. But of course, I was only fourteen. So, just when I when I could get hold of it, I'd drink to get really waste you no know, drunk and mm. um yeah got me into some horrible situations but yeah I still wanted to be normal I didn't you know like so I still tried to just get on go on with my life like still but then I I started hanging out with the wrong crowd and uh I, ha- I still had to go to school but that really got thrown out the window too because I was hardly ever there so I I was only three months at um, high school when that happened. So wow. I was kind of, yeah. So then I had the court case to go through. That was traumatic um, on top, yeah. And then I had like society, like the, the, the cruelness of people, you know, like, oh, you know, like the stories that came out. I think that was the hardest part. It was like, well, how cruel people can be. What did they say? Oh, yeah, what was she? What was she doing there? I mean, um, she shouldn't have been in the area. Um, there was a story going around that most people believed that um, I was at a party with them, and. Um, some people had got me away from the party, but I had gone back on my free will to um, to go back to the party, and that's how it happened. Like, and, you know, people just hear these things, and then they don't they don't even know if it's true. They don't look into any further. They just hear it and they think these things. It's just it's so. It's just the the whole like the trauma that you go through after something like that happens is from what people say and how they treat you. It's horrible. The victim blaming. Yeah, the victim blaming. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's disgusting. There would be, I mean, I'm sure people with preconceived ideas of this conversation thinking those things, you know, and thinking, well, why is a 14-year-old girl out at midnight, you know? Yeah. And you would have had to live through people questioning the victim, questioning if you wanted it, questioning if you deserved it. And I think that is so important to vocalise because this is happening still. What 14-year-old girl would ever want to put herself in in that kind of situation that to me is so awful and I'm really sorry that that happened to you I'm really sorry that you didn't feel supported it's all right <laughs> yeah it's um that's just that's just people that's people can be cruel you know of course the guys the perpetrators I don't know if it was them that actually was saying it, but just people around were saying, ah, oh, she enjoyed it, all of this kind of horrible shit that you hear that comes back. And then, um, yeah, it just starts to, I don't know, I, I just got really, I was antisocial, you know. 
for a long time. How are you supposed to trust anybody after yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was getting death threats. Like I had to get, we had to get new phone phone numbers, and you know, because I was going to court. Um, like if you if you go to court, we're going to kill you, <laughs> shit like this. But I did. I went through the court case, and I'm so glad that I did. You know, I'm just so glad that I was able to stand up and do that. There's so many women that can't. So many. I couldn't imagine how it would feel if it had happened and. Who would you tell? Who would you believe? You know, like, I mean, who would believe you, you know? What do these men get um, sentenced with? Okay, so two got the maximum sentence, which was back then was seven seven and a half years. One guy I couldn't, for some reason, they reckon I couldn't um, identify him properly or some, something. Something. He got three and a half years, or was it four years or something? And the guy, the guy that took me into his room, got me out. The that big hero, he, um, you know, sarcastically, um, he he got six months wow. <laughs> PD, and that was for sleeping with a minor. Wow! So that one wasn't a rape charge. That was a no, no, yeah, yeah, and yeah, I didn't. I couldn't understand why that happened, but yeah, it, it, it just, yeah, I, I've never chased that. I, I sometimes feel like I should go back and, you know, really dig a bit deeper about that one, but it's like it was so long ago. You kind of want to move on now. It's like it consumes so much of your life. Mm-hmm. How do relationships evolve in your life? Do you, ever feel romantically about a partner do you um trust a partner how does that evolve for you post this experience Mm, yeah sexually I was really screwed up from that experience I done a lot of things stupid things I mean not stupid things but to be expected type things I think it was like when I'd meet someone, I was like, just get that over. Like, I never enjoyed sex, but I, for some reason inside of me, I believe that's all that they really wanted, which makes sense, I suppose. <laughs> um, just wanted the cuddles after, you know. <laughs> so get that, get that out of the way. Um, I didn't enjoy sex for a very long time. Yeah, it was disgusting to me. Um, but I did I did get through it. I I mean, I wouldn't say I have the best libido or anything now. Yeah, it's something I'm still working out, actually. But I did have a long-term relationship with my kid's dad, or eight years. But he was, he was very controlling and, and manipulative and physically abusive so yeah I I was vulnerable and he got his mitts into me (laughs) and kind of controlled me for like a long time and really used what happened to me you know against me in a lot of ways um yeah it's probably the worst kind of man for me to have been with but yeah I guess trauma can um attract 
you know. Yeah, I I just felt worthless, you know, like I didn't, I felt like um, I didn't deserve much better than that. That's what that had done to me. Mm. Um, and I don't, this is what happens to women that, that are raped though a lot of the time, may eh? they, they, you just take it and, you know, you, yeah, you feel like you're the bad person or something. So you meet this man and you have how many children? Two. I had two children to him and I was already very, um, I was a real, well, I was drinking a lot, but I'd gotten into the hard drugs back by then. What ones? Like heroin type stuff, morphine. So I was, um, he kind of got me into injecting. And so, yeah, that was a long, long struggle, battle that I had. Um, yeah, so I was on the methadone for 15 years um, in the end. But, yeah, I finally came off that. How old were your babies? What, did you fall pregnant when you were a drug addict or um, was that post? Both my babies were clean babies. I was still bulimic, though. Um, If it wasn't the drugs, it was the bulimia that took over. So my son was really sick when he was born. He was only like four pounds, and he had this gastrogesis, whereas all his intestines grew through his belly button. (laughs) Freaky. Um, I always blame myself because I was bulimic for quite a few months into that pregnancy and um yeah no that was just another thing that went I went through oh my god so so you met this man the man man gets you into hard drugs you get off the hard drugs through the pregnancies but you you switch to your other addiction which is the bulimia when the babies are born do you go back onto the hard drugs I think I have a little probably a period where I don't but then you, you start to get you know like because especially when you've got a man that's using like it's really hard to not use <laughs> so he didn't change when I had the kids he just stayed the same so eventually you do get back into it and how did you manage that how did you manage parenting and being a user it's almost like it's self-medicating so I didn't I didn't think that I was I got myself that wasted but you know obviously I I did but it was more like I was normal um because when you when you start taking morphine and opiates it's only when you're not taking it when it's when you're sick and you 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 can't get up to look after the kids so it's almost like you know you're chemically addicted to this this um drug and you, you need it every day just to function and just mm-hmm. to be able to look after the kids. Um, and that's why I went on the methadone because it was it just took away the whole um, having to go out and get money for it and then having to find it. Um, it didn't take away the injecting though because I, I, I still injected my methadone. But, yeah, it kind of – I had to go to a chemist to get it and that's what made it different you know it was prescribed by a doctor so yeah that so then once I was on that I I was pretty had kind of had a normal life 
I felt. My kids might um, say differently. I don't, you know, they say it was was hard, but they also say, you know, that I was a good mum. So, yeah. A mum trying to survive. They didn't know what had happened to me. Have you ever told them? I told my daughter because after I um, was come off the methadone, I was clean for five years and I um, I ended up relapsing and I got into um, meth quite badly. Um, it just started with one line and, yeah, it just unleashed a monster and, and, you know, and I was going out with a guy that was dealing. So, yeah, I just tumbled into this real dark world um, for about three years and my, my older kids, my daughter was around uh, 16 and my son was about 19. They disowned me. They didn't want to know me. Um, and that really hurt me so bad. Um, and so I told my daughter what had happened to me. That was a, a bad time, but she kind of got to understand a little bit more about me after that. Um, and, yeah, uh, they they are so, you know, they, they know they can come to me now for anything see I've been clean for four years I went to rehab about four years ago and came off the um the meth and everything so yeah we're really close now how did you make amends how did they forgive you I don't know I think they always loved me loved me so much like look one thing my kids didn't miss out on was love I loved them you know, deeply, and they, they knew that. Um, and so we just talked about things, you know. Like when the when my kids were um, younger, we used to play a game. <laughs> um, and it was take the cotton wool out of your ears and put it in your mouth so you can just listen. And then one person speaks and then you take the cotton wool out of your ears when it's your turn. I mean, your mouth, put it in your ears so that you get to speak. And we'd time each other for five minutes. So you actually stop and listen to each other. Mm. So um, I found out so much, especially about my son, about what he used to go through when I was getting a hiding from his dad, you know, like things that I'd never have known. I mean, he'd be in the bedroom with his hands over his little his sister's ears, protecting her, you know, so she couldn't hear anything that was going on in the other room, mm. you know, things like that. I mean, I mean, I don't think we we ask our children enough, you know, what their experience is. I mean, we talk a lot now, and I don't know if they even needed to forgive. I mean, you'd really have to ask them. It's going to be quite a unique experience because I do – have a time to talk to your daughter about this you gave yes you you passed up well she was the one that in fact um suggested you be a guest on this show I know yes I know. and then I asked you if you thought that that would be appropriate if I got to hear her experience mm, yeah and so I thank you for saying you have to ask them because um I think it's important to go to the child of a parent that has overcome extreme trauma 
and has been through different vices, you know, yeah, yep. and how that changes her and her perspective on life. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It hasn't been easy for them. Um, they've suffered too, you know, just like my, my family have suffered, my sister and my brothers, you know, they all suffered from, from what happened to me. I mean, they had to go through it with my family, you know, um, it's almost like when I'm telling you the story, it's not doing it justice. I don't think we will ever get to understand the depth of the insidious nature. I don't think any of us will, but I think that we can imagine the impact on everybody involved. And yeah, yeah. I want you mm-hmm. to tell something so extraordinary happened to you. Um, in mm. relation to your perpetrators later on. Yeah. Could you tell us about this? So um, it happened with two of them, actually. Um, two of the guys that got the maximum, um, when they, one guy, when he got out, he um, was at the pub when I was at the pub one day, one night. And... Um, I didn't even know it was him, but one of my friends that I was with um, was said, "Hey, hey, that's um, so and so, you know. Um, he he wants to talk to you." <laughs> so I'm like, "What? No way! I don't want you know. Uh, you know, you just you kind of get this rush that goes through you, like uh, like adrenaline rush. It's like what I, I was freaking out because I was I was so scared for so many years you know like if I ever saw any of that those guys that gang I'd run you know I'd be terrified yes I thought they were gonna kill me you know and then um so I was freaking out but I did go and talk to him can I ask though how long was this after the uh, event it was probably about 10 years okay Maybe a bit longer than ten years, maybe twelve. Mm-hmm. Probably, probably in my mid twenties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I did go up to him and talk to him, and he said, um, "I just want you to know that I'm really sorry for what I done, and that um, I'm here now, and you do whatever you want to me right now, like." whether I wanted to beat him up or anything like that. Um, and it just really touched me, you know. I know it was horrible what I went through, but when someone's actually admitting to you, you know, when someone's prepared to stand in front of you and apologise like like he did, um, I don't know, I just... Yeah, I just didn't know what else to say, but it's all good. I I just, I took it. It might sound weird to people, but it wasn't until I got home. I went home straight away after that, and I got in the door, and I dropped to the ground, and I just sobbed, man. Like, years of pain came out of me, you know, because you do wonder what they think or what they thought of what they'd done to me, you know? You know, that is a big question in your mind. And, and you never get it. Usually you never get a chance to hear what they, you know, what they think. Um, and I did get that chance. So 
that was a huge, it was a hugely healing experience for me. Um, and then the, the second time I uh, got to see the other guy, he was, um, was when I relapsed the last time and I was associating with some pretty tough guy, you know, some, some guys. And um, I had to admit that that's, this, that had happened to me by someone. And anyway, he made it so that I could talk to this guy. And, yeah, we talked to, for quite a while about I got to tell him what he'd done to me and how much he screwed my life up. And he got to sit and listen to it. And, yeah, it was pretty pretty amazing. And I even left. Look, I gave the guy a hug. And he's, look, if you ever need anything, sis, da 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 You know, like, I know it probably sounds real weird to people, but, you know, when something happens to you like that, only the, the best way really to heal is forgiveness for not not for them for you for you mm-hmm. for you your your being you know mm-hmm. and if you can if you can actually um fully forgive man you become so strong and then you become to you become able to um i don't know tell your story or help others help mm-hmm. others who have been there or or going through the same it takes a long time to be able to forgive, but, you know, eventually I had to and I needed to for my own sake. Yeah, I didn't want to be bitter, and um, I was bitter for a long time, you know. And now I'm just working on forgiving myself, really, and I think I've, I've come a long way in the last five five years, five or ten years. <laughs> When I think about who I was 10 years ago to now, um, yeah, the work I've done on myself has paid off. Mm-hmm. I've been getting counselling uh, pretty much on and off all my life. So, yeah, I've always gone back because I don't want to be mixed up. I really do want happiness. And, and for a long time I did. I lost the, lost the potential to enjoy life. Um. Yeah, I lost my spark. I had no spark. You know, I was just a hollow hollow shell, really, for a long time after that. What do you feel you have to forgive within yourself? <sighs> yeah. Um, forgive myself for what I've done to myself, <laughs> probably mostly. You know, forgive myself for beating myself up for um, hating myself so much because of all of that stuff, you know, Um, when I never deserved it. Yeah. You managed to forgive those men Mm. Mm. and hug those men. And Mm. that is really incredible. And... It feels like the one that needs to be forgiven first is you because you, they did that. Yeah. Yeah. And you forgave them with with ease. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. 
And I think it's a beautiful thing. I'm one of the ones that believes you with forgiveness is the most powerful thing. I think you are incredible for doing that, but it makes me so sad that you get forgiven last. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, isn't that true? Hey, yeah. Mm. It's, I don't know. It's so funny because you can love people, eh? And you can, I can love my kids with all my heart and I can love, you know, um, anyone. I'm, I just love people. But when it comes to loving me, it's just so hard. But I, it's a work in progress. And I'll never, I'll never, I'll never give up. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever give up trying to get to that place. And, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a process. You know, when these two men apologized, did you ask them why they did it or how they did it? Mm. That's just the culture. That's just um, some men just get, they take. They've got no respect for women. You know, it, it comes down to that. They have no respect for women. They were just a... We're just a thing to be to be used, really, you know, that mentality. And they were on a lot of drugs. One of the, the guy told me that they were so wasted. The first guy at the pub couldn't only remember bits of because he said no excuse, no excuse at all. But I, I, I knew something when I woke up, he said, because I did talk to him for a little while. He said, the, when I woke up, I knew that I'd done something, but I could only remember bits so, of, you know, like, yeah. And back then, back in the 80s, it was a it was a crazy, crazy time. It was happening a lot to, to young girls and women. You have a daughter, and when she reached the age of 14, was that – confronting for you to see her horrible. <laughs> at yep. that age yeah and know that that was you at that age yep I'd actually just come off the methadone so I was really feeling everything but you know like because methadone can numb numbs your emotions and I'd been off probably for about she turned 14 around the same time so it just it kind of shook me because what I saw was how innocent she was and how you know, because you don't realise those things when it happens to you yourself. You know, she was just an innocent child at 14 and it made me think of how young I must have been and how young I was. And, um, yeah, I had to go back to counselling then. I went back to counselling because it just it, it really brought it all back mm. quite, um, yeah, in my face. <laughs> yeah. But I was I didn't want to stop her from having a normal the normal teenage time, you know. I didn't want my fears to get in the way of hers, her life. Um and she was she was doing silly things. she I found out she'd jumped out her window and I was like, Oh my god. You know, like if she if anything was to happen to her, at least I want her to be able to ring me, you know, like and not feel that she's in trouble. So you know, I, I parented a wee bit differently, maybe. It was like, I don't care where you want to go, what you want to do. Just let, look, you can go. You just 
please tell me and I'll drop you there and I'll pick you up afterwards. But please don't, don't, um, you don't have to lie to me. And so I, I parented a, a lot like that. Mm. And um, it was quite funny. She didn't actually really want to do anything after I did her. <laughs> My mum did the same with me and I didn't do yeah. anything. <laughs> when, you, when you're allowed to do things, you don't do them. Yeah, it took the fun out of it, eh? <laughs> yeah. If you're just going to pick me up anyway, then what's the point? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was so funny. You do a really incredible type of work now. I'm not sure if you can talk about it or not, but... If you can, do you want to share what you do now? Yep. So um, when I first come off the method, well, actually, when I was on the method, I started doing I started doing a um, counselling degree because I thought I really wanted to help people, but I knew I'd have to have a piece of paper. You know, I had to have the the proof that I knew what I was doing, talking about um, because of my addictions and everything. So. Um, so I got my counselling degree about eight years ago, but then I had that relapse. So I slowly have been um, doing peer support work, but I, I just had a job working with um, mums, pregnant mums who have meth addictions or quite severe meth addictions. Mm. Yeah. What powerful yeah, work. So, yeah. Yeah, I love it. There's no better feeling than helping someone, eh? And, yeah, I suppose when you've been through so much in your life, you just know, you just instinctively know what's, you know, how they feel. And, yeah, it is a beautiful turn turn of events, really, (laughs) when you can start working with people. How many years ago were you 14? 33 years ago. And within all of that time, what is the one, I mean, I'm sure there are so many learnings, but what's the most profound thing that you have learnt in this 33 years? Mm. Mm. Probably to never give up. Never give up on trying to find happiness Mm. and are you happy now I am I actually actually I think I am happy yeah I had another child he was my um my gift from God (laughs) (laughs) I'm not religious my not religious but he was you know like he's he's my he's 11 and it's just uh it's so amazing how much um, joy your kids can give you away. And I've got a grandson now, so he just he's just everything to me, to me you know. Um, we're, nothing, we're nothing on our own, eh? We're, mm-hmm. But it's others that make us who we are, and I'm just so grateful and I'm so glad that I've got my family and I've got my kids, and, yeah, that's what I strive for, really. Wow, you really are like a, a survivor, you know, obviously a survivor, but you have just shown what incredible strength and resilience it takes to thrive. Mm. It's, yeah. such a, yeah. it's such an incredible story. I want to ask our final question on the deep is who are you when no one's watching? 
<laughs> My one knows which one. Hmm. I'm just me. I'm just I'm a I'm a beautiful human being. <laughs> you are. I am and I'm strong. And I you know, oh yeah. Um I'm proud. I'm proud and I'm so glad I got to talk to you, Zoe. Yeah, it's been awesome. Um, yeah, I feel good about life now and it's only taken just like 30 years, but you do come through it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing with us. (laughs) It's okay. I never, I never dreamed I would. So yeah, thanks. Thanks to my girl. She found you and, um, (laughs) it was meant to be. Yeah. Yeah. It was meant to be. Thank you, Zoe. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the deep. If it's left you with any burning questions for me or our guests, please hit us up by direct message on Instagram at what's the deep. Hi, everybody. It is Zoe here. Change is coming to the deep. I want to welcome you to Arise. It's uplifting. It's quirky. It's curious. It's all about the mindset and self-discovery to be more helpful and of service. During 16 of the Deep, you will hear some of these episodes, and I'd love to hear what you think of them over on our Instagram at What's the Deep.